0: Lea Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. In this week's episode, we're looking towards Parshat Korach, which we'll be reading this Shabbat. And we'll be talking about community in a few different ways. Uh, first, we'll be talking about Minyan or et zibor and why 10 people might be the way that we define community. Uh, we'll have an, a next segment in which we will discuss who's in and who's out of the community, of the Jewish community, how that was historically defined and how that might be defined differently today. Lastly, we'll have an interview with the head of our education committee, Benjamin Cohen. This week's Parsha is Parshat Korach, and in Parshat Korach, Korach gathers together a group of people that the Torah refers to as an Eidah. Um, so, what is an Eidah? How many people make up an Eidah? Those are some of the questions uh, discussed in the Talmud in Sanhedrin 74b. Um, when they're in the middle of a discussion about Kiddush Hashem. And what does it mean to sanctify God's name specifically in public? Um, in the beginnings of our Tfilah, actually this is part of the tefillah that we don't say together as a tzibur in the show, we, everyone says it uh, quietly as we're getting ready to start, we say a, a bracha about Kiddush Hashem, There's there's different... Variations of the exact language of the Brachah something like uh, we have the opportunity to um, sanctify God's name Berabim, like in public around many. So the Talmud is interested in how many constitutes many, um, and the specific kind of halachic question of the Talmud there is talking about is there are certain mitzvot that are they're in a category of Yahareg or You should be killed as, instead of violating them. So one of those, for example, is murder of someone's. Holding a gun to your head and says, "Kill someone else, or else I'll kill you." You're supposed to be killed instead of being a person who who commits murder. So that's one category. But then it's if it's in a time of oppression and someone's trying to get you to to violate a commandment in public, um, in order to kind of disgrace the name of God, that then becomes a yahari valyav or status. That becomes something which you should anything, whatever it is. They say, um, you know, eat eat a piece of pork. If that were happening in private, you would eat the pork and not give your life to the sanctification of God, but because it's in public, you're supposed to resist. You're supposed to to choose martyrdom in that in that moment. And so the Gemara asks, Farhasia, What? The, how many people makes up a public act?" And uh, Rabbi Yaakov says, "In the name of Rabbi Yochanan, in There's no public less than ten people." And then then the Gemara says. Hold on, but how do I know? Does it does it need to be Jews? Um, do those ten? Is it ten people or is it ten Jews? And you could really kind of—it's a sharp question because for the purposes of the sanctification of the name of God, you might even want to say, "Oh, it's ten non-Jews, right?" Mm-hmm. That's it, actually more important. You you could really argue it in in, in many directions. Um, and and the Gemara goes on to say, right, "Tashma, come in here. Tani Rabbi yana, yanai, teaches in the in the name of Rabbi Chia Bar Aba. Atia um, toch." So, we, we draw a verbal analogy, a gzera shava on the word among. So, we have this pasuk about sanctifying God in public, I shall be sanctified among the children of Israel. And with regard to Korach, you have You have um, separate yourselves from amongst this congregation. So, you have Toch and he right so th- this verbal analogy this word that's used twice and in the Talmud often. We draw these um, where if a word is used in one place and a word is used somewhere else, we can kind of take the meaning from one place and transport that meaning into another place where the word is used. And so the Gemara goes on to say, So just as there, um, it, we numbered 10 and all were Jews, and they've actually now um, also connected... Korach to the spies, and the spies, they're all Jews. And so that, that's another leap that gemara here, or, or tie, less leap than tie, that the Talmud here makes. Um, so it ties Korach to the spies, the spies, they're 10, and they're all Jews. And so to here, in, in sanctification of the name of God, you have, you have now a requirement for 10 that are all Jews.
1: Point of clarification, there were 12 spies. What do you get 10?
0: Oh, there were only, thank you, good question. There were, so, right, there's 12 spies, one from each tribe. Um, there's 10 bad spies. There's okay, 10 and... spies who, who kind of come back and give bad report. And then you have Yehoshua and Khalif who come back and give good report. So
1: the Dairaah, the evil congregation, could mm-hmm. only mean the 10 bad spies.
0: Right, exactly. Okay. Um, right, so when you have an ida that has betokh attached to it, um, that's in Korach, and then you have another Edah, which is in by the spies, and so you connect Adah from the spies, meaning ten, to Edah in Korach, and then Toch in Korach to Toch in Kiddush Hashem, and you let, land up with with ten Jews, and that then becomes the source for a minion. So, right, the the, the original question was Vehama mm-hmm. Farhasel, what constitutes public, and now we have public as as being constituted by 10 Jews. Um, And so what's beautiful then is that actually from these two extremely kind of negative stories of the 10 spies and Korach, um, that, that gives rise to one of the most positive daily things that our community really has to offer, which is... Minion. <laughs>
1: okay, say a little more before we like veer off into the, the context of minion. I want to say or minion in the context of prayer, which does happen uh, hopefully every day, multiple times a day at our shul. Uh, say a little bit more about minion in the context of Kiddush Hashem and whether we define minion the same way in these two contexts. As I Seems that we're, we don't right
0: right so so we actually don't you'll notice that one of the definitional elements of our minyan um, that has not been raised is any question of gender um, actually for a minion for kiddush Hashem could even be constituted by women um, that's kind of historically been understood. Um, and there have been times, you know, this isn't just a theoretical conversation, um, as, you know, in the summer as we turn towards Tisha B'Av, still in, in a bunch of weeks, but, but, but on Tisha B'Av we read um, keynote, uh, and those keynote, those elegies, um, these sad poetry, come from all these terrible times in Jewish history, and in some of those times you've really seen Jews dying all kidush Hashem, giving over their lives in order to sanctify the name of God, and doing that kind of in public in accordance with these exact rules. Um, and so it's it's not the Talmud contains you know sometimes theoretical ideas yeah. or concepts and this is actually not one of them um, and and this concept of Kiddush Hashem uh, you know we talk about it very colloquially of like oh I you know I wore my kippah to uh, to some event like it was and I and then I behaved really well like that was a Kiddush Hashem you know and 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 that's beautiful you know like doing some, doing the right thing publicly as a Jew that's certainly a correct usage of Kiddush Hashem but then there's kind of like I I don't know like uppercase Kiddush Hashem, which is this yeah. more kind of technical thing of of martyrdom, um, and and um, saying like the word of God is yeah. worth dying for. I, I think they're
1: both technical. I think right. um, I think uh, the Rambam <laughs> includes them both in the same sections of his Hilcha Yisori Hatorah. They're both technical halachic uh, obligations to sanctify God's name. Yes. One is through the ethical and kind and positive behavior and reputation of somebody who's identified with Torah and with the Jewish people and with God, and the other is giving one's life if necessary uh, when, when pushed to do so under the circumstances that the Halakha ordains. Um, so they both talk like, one, one is maybe a little more uh, dramatic. Right. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, and, and one is a one time and one is a... But lot, we don't you know,
0: define like, I'm going to this conference wearing my kippa. We don't say, "Well, that only matters if there's you know if there's ten people there, but if there's right. eight, then you don't have to." That's
1: that's fair. That's fair. That 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 is true. That I mean, is that, true.
0: That that kind of um, right. know, the more colloquial kiddush hashem the, apl- applies with fewer specifications. Agreed. Maybe. Uh,
1: that's that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So say say something about minion since you brought it
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, minion is a Jewish practice that is near and dear to my heart. I've been davening with a minion on weekdays regularly for the entirety of my adult life beginning in day school um and funnily enough the only year that i did not daven with a minion regularly was my year in seminary um that there was a minion of men on the kibbutz that migdal O's is on but they davened at the same time as the Yomi year and i went to the Yomi year instead um I don't know. I, I'm not actually sure now that I would make the same decision. Like davening with the Minyan has become so constitutive of my identity and also my relationship with Tefillah. Um, that that I I've... just this
1: I say, that, like like you know like a decade or so earlier, I was a student at Yeshiva Hanetzar, <laughs> and there were some women from Midrashos who would uh, walk over to the yeshiva to say Shacharit with us. Uh, right. No, so... people
0: definitely were doing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny to be in a place where there's you know a hundred plus women learning yeah. Torah all in the same room, and and uh, and. There's no minion that happens there. That's like a kind of unique experience to being a Jewish woman. Uh, men's yeshivas don't have these problems, obviously. Correct. Um, but um, but yeah, so anyways, dominating with a minion has been a very, very important part of my life all through college, and in college especially, but... But even post-college, of course, um, it was a way to, to say, you know, even though my schedule is so dictated by my classes and my extracurriculars and all of this kind of quote-unquote secular stuff, I'm going to imbue my day with holiness by structuring my life around minion attendance um, and and really doing that in a way that's inconvenient you know like if I was at a meeting that undergrads meet at like crazy times mm-hmm. like you'd have mm-hmm. meetings that would end at 12: 30 and minions gonna be at seven mm-hmm. um that doesn't leave a lot of sleeping time and 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 it involves right a good amount of kind of sacrifice in order to mm-hmm. to make that happen but to me that that became just really um, supremely important um, that amongst all the busyness of life that like Judaism makes not just uh you know don't do this yes do this don't do the other it makes a time demand on your life mm-hmm. when time is in, in some ways one of the most important um uh, and, and and most constrained um things that we have to say actually i'm gonna i'm gonna separate out this is like relatively large right if i decided to daven on my own that would take maybe maximum you know whatever 15 minutes if i were better at davening by myself <laughs> maybe it would take longer that's kind of how long it takes but to daven with a minion you know someday on mondays and thursdays that could be a good 45 minutes
1: yeah i want i want to like to drive into that point, I think for, for there, are, there are some people who pray much more effectively when they're not praying in a congregation because they go as slow as they want, they say every word, they meditate on every word and, mm-hmm. and it, they can spend, you know, a yeah. really a good, a good, a good amount of time without having to accommodate anyone else's schedule and Uh, They really pray better. For myself, I also I I think if I when when I pray by myself, I I find myself rushing. I'm not. I I don't have any other people to help pace myself, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's too easy for my mind to be. I I guess the reason if I'm diving at home is because you know by myself, I'm doing it specifically at home, and so so easy to be distracted by. You know, oh, there's dishes, dishes, over there. dishes, or a book or a magazine, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, of that sort. So I, I just from and the pr- also
0: to push off starting davening until I don't have that much time left. Oh, that's right,
1: that sort of right, right, right. How early are you going to wake up to daven by yourself mm-hmm. uh, in your living room? When right, right before the meeting begins, right before you have to leave the house. Ha- right, so that's mm-hmm. that's a challenge I have, and that's another reason I think an advantage of of joining together with a minion. I do I do want to push back a little bit and. and uh, Reinforce uh, our, our shul branding, which mm-hmm. we are trying to pivot away from <laughs> speaking about prayer with a minion, uh, which is the you know a- a ten men and and uh, speak about tefillah Sibor praying sure. with the congregation. I think uh, uh, we we see this uh, the overemphasis on a minion. I think can can hurt us in at least two ways. One is uh, women who aren't uh, constituting that minion uh, nevertheless can fulfill the mitzvah of Tfilah a woman who says the Amidah in the presence of a minyan, that's the same mitzvah as the men they are doing, it's Tfilah mm-hmm. B'tzibor, uh, reciting the Amidah together at the same time as that minyan, uh, even if she isn't one of the 10 men of the minyan, and the same, t- same is also true for the 11th man or the 12th man or, or mm-hmm. the 15th man or the 100th man, right, who is not doing anything to make that minyan, and we find that, so we sometimes find that, that challenge when we're, um, convening a minyan that, um, like, everyone wants to be uh, the 10th man. like that's And your, no
0: one wants to be the
1: 11th. No one wants to... Right, right. No, no. I
0: always want to be the 11th. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. You want to be the 11th person to walk into the room? Yeah. I understand. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, right. But we have... We, it's like, it's very hard to get right. So... so but in fact, the 11th man and the... Uh, First and second and fifth woman and the hundredth man who walks into shul and all say the amidah at the same time. They're actually all doing the exact same mitzvah, which is tshu'lab Sivor, this enhanced form of prayer, which is when it's done uh, in the company of the and I, I you know. I think so. I think that's sort of a helpful way to um, pivot away from the dichotomy of like. The clear like you know minion no minion you know mm-hmm. are there time men either not so
0: sure but but I do want to say that that I think Judaism has has a sense that something happens when there's a minion present or when the Tibor comes to pray together in a way that fulfills this you know what is farhesia like mm-hmm. what is public when that public has shown up to Davin it's not it's not like okay now like we can say Kaddish, that that's actually not that's not like the thing mm-hmm. um and you know that because there's also a halacha that if you can't make it, like if you're stuck at home because yes. let's say you have a child there or something, you should daven at the same time as the minion is davening. Um, and it's because there's something like moving in the mm-hmm. community. Yeah. There's something that's kind of ontologically different maybe um, about uh, and something probably going on with a Kaddish Baruch you could even say, when there's a, a, a community yeah. of people who have gathered to pray together. Yeah,
1: yeah, there's some interesting halach, you know, you find some halakhic ramifications of that. There are two examples that come to mind. One is uh, a, a woman who's doing a vidika as part of her observance of Hilchotani Nida, mm-hmm. she has to during the day, and if the congregation in her town, right, has said barku, right, right, then it's too late, okay? I always
0: thought there should, someone should, like, clap and be like, if you haven't done your Hef-Sekara yet, <laughs> now's the time. Right,
1: yes, that, that would be a little awkward, but uh, we could do that.
0: Uh, <laughs> it would be a way to kind of, like, bring yes. <laughs> the practice of hilko like, back into the yes, public sphere. Yes, Because, right, once upon a time, women were walking around fully in white clothes during their... Right, Shivanakim. Now we wear white underwear instead, and it's not so obvious. But once upon a time, right, it was obvious who was keeping neither one of oh, At the time, the Bae- the Bae- the time of the Beit Bae-
1: Hamikdash, everyone had to know everything about everyone's uh, status <laughs> because you were eating Truma and Kudshim, and you had to, you know, don't sit in that chair, you know dad, I'm a, whatever, you know, right. like, all sorts of... Uh, but, but there's the... And, again, circle back, uh, the power <laughs> of the barker, right? Even some not right. in shul, right? Like, the, for her community, like, now is night. The day is over because mm-hmm. your shul has, has started mariv, even though, you know, right. uh, it's still, And there's
0: a challenging piece that, yeah. right? In the summer, when we use and when we bring in Shabbos early as yes. a community. Yes, So, like, May Kara Din, it Unless we we do all the things that we do in terms of messaging around that, Shabbat for the whole of the yeah, you should yeah. start at that time. Correct. So
1: that's the other, right. The other ratification would be Shabbat begins when your community begins Shabbat, even if you're not in shul. I think I think here in Chicago, like there are other synagogues in the city of Chicago. I think mm-hmm. we're all one community, at least when it comes to, to, to this. And so – uh, I don't think uh, any individuals like Shabbat start time is determined by when we say Kabbalah mm-hmm. Shabbat here at Anshe Shalom. Right. Uh, but it's absolutely true if you have a community with just one shul, when that shul begins Shabbat, if it's an hour early or, or thirty minutes early, like mm-hmm. everyone has to do has to stop doing work at that time, whether or not they make it to shul. Um, and that, that that's again the power that, that I think that same kind of like uh, religious power of of the community and prayer, even for those who are not not in the synagogue.
0: Yeah, totally. And 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 one piece of that is that. Um, or or like kind of how that works is that we get to decide is it night now or not which is crazy right like it seems like we know when sunset is I can tell you to the you know to the 10th of a second when sunset is Um, and yet that's not really what matters what really matters is our community has come together and we're deciding now is when we're going to say Mariv and that so night has started or Shabbat has started or whatever it is like we the minion has the ability to affect change not just in the hearts and souls of those who come but really kind of in the world and that's the power of of, of the, the kind of the Jewish public, uh, which we learn out in part from this week's uh, parsha, at Korach.
1: So, having spoken a little bit about the religious power of prayer in a community, I, I thought it would be um, worth kind of reviewing some of the more recent halachic discussions about uh, who gets included in community and for what purposes. Uh, classically. Uh, this was pretty obvious in the medieval period as the Rishonim, as the great medieval scholars are working through the Talmudic precedent and coming up with their formulations of Jewish law. Uh, a core definition of who is a Jew is somebody who observes Shabbat. Uh, and l- at least, at least publicly, right. And people obviously, there was a lot of diversions from Jewish observance, even in the Middle Ages, in private. But it was impossible to defy such a strong communal norm like Shabbat observance in public and remain part of the Jewish community. And you had to remain part of a community. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Christian or a Muslim, right? You mm-hmm. couldn't uh,
0: citizenship was tied up in that, or lack thereof, for
1: Jews. You know. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. And that, that's sort of what's interesting. You know, historians speak about uh, Spinoza as like the first uh, modern person, modern European uh, in the history of of the world because he he was excommunicated from the Jewish community. He never became a Christian. And that was like really impossible uh, in, in you know in the, in the period before him. So, so Shabbat observance is, that is the definition of, of somebody who is Jewish for purposes of ritual participation. You know, does a man count in the minion? You know, if, if your mm-hmm. store is open on Shabbat, you're not going to count in a minion uh, in the Middle Ages because you would have already become a Christian, right? You mm-hmm. wouldn't have, uh, or a Muslim, okay? Uh, in the 19th century, this, this breaks down. And there are many people who are... Um, really loyal Jews in their own minds, but are not observant uh, of a sort of in what we would call like an orthodox like lifestyle. They're not halakhically they're not observant in a comprehensive way, but they certainly aren't Christian and they even feel a great deal of loyalty as Jews. Uh, the Orech Lamer is a safer that dis- I think the first safer should discuss this in a real work through uh, way. Orech is written by Yaakov Etlinger, who among other things was the first an Orthodox rabbi to get a college degree, and uh, he writes in the 1860s that poshe Yisrael, these sinners bizmanenu, are like contemporary sinners. I don't really know what to do with them because, <laughs> you know, they come to shul and they daven and, they, dive in and they, they say kiddush and they go off and they go to work and they like open their shops and and that, that I don't understand that because um,
0: doesn't fit into any category. Doesn't fit into the category, yeah.
1: And, and he goes on to say the reason why Shabbat observance was definitional of Jewish identity in the pre-modern period was because if you observe Shabbat, that's you're acknowledging that God created the universe. And if you don't observe Shabbat, you're denying God's creation of the universe, which means really denying the core, like, tenets of, of Judaism. And that's why you would not, you would lose your Jewish status. But this person, like he says, Kiddush, he's acknowledging God as the creator. He's acknowledging God took us out of Egypt. He's going to shul. He's, like, participating in Jewish ritual. So so clearly this person's Shabbat observance isn't quite communicating that same uh, heretical message that it once did, and so mm-hmm. uh, maybe that status should be evaluated, re-evaluated in 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 light of these new circumstances. And so he sort of lays down that that position uh, in a theoretical way in the 1860s. In the 20th century, uh, Deutschi Hoffman, who was a great postsec in Germany, takes his argument to like, I think like the next level by uh, by pointing out that in, that in halachic literature, in the Talmudic literature, the distinction between public and private Shabbat desecration, which doesn't have anything to do with um, like the laws of Shabbat. Hilchot Shabbat, this doesn't matter if you do it public or private, you write, mm-hmm. you, you, you cook. It's all forbidden with the same punishment, whether it's in private or public. And yet one's Jewish status seems to depend on public violation of Shabbat. And uh, what could that mean? So David Zvi Hoffman presents the, the theory that, well, it must be that somebody who violates Shabbat in public is really making a statement of, I reject the norms and values and rules of this community. This is not my community anymore. I would. I have no. I'm cutting my ties with the Jews and Jewish community by keeping my shop open on Shabbat. Jews don't do that, and that was the as well. In, in in Berlin in the 20th century, it's actually us Orthodox Jews. We're the we're the strange ones. We're the minority, and it's uh, those who do keep their stores open on Shabbat and go to school and go to work on Shabbat. They're the ones who are actually engaging in like conventional Jewish behavior. Uh, we're the strange ones, and so. Uh, somebody who violates Shabbat—that really can't be considered uh, as that same statement of uh, "I reject all, all my Jewish allegiances" because actually that person is acting in a very Jewish way, and 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 we observant Jews are actually this this small minority who are preserving a more ancient understanding of what of what being Jewish uh, requires. Uh, another stage in this—it uh, was offered to Chabad Rabbi Feinstein in in some another generation later. Uh, two generations later in the United States, where pointing to the origin, the, the Talmudic origin of the idea of Minyan in the Ten Wicked Spies, said, look, you know, the original Minyan was not a group of righteous people. It was a group of wicked people. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe we can be a little bit more uh, accommodating as well of people who are uh, not necessarily religious role models, but for whatever reason, here they are in shul right now. Uh, and, and and so they should be included um, in, in certainly in if a Minyan purposes and maybe in, in other ways as well uh, it, it it still remains you know an open question for each community to work through uh, what type of ritual roles should be open to what types of people you know all of us have um Ways in which we don't live up to an ideal of what the Torah asks of us. And I think the question is, like, what type of deviations from the ideal are so significant that a person, uh, let's say, let's say their Jewish status is going to be uh, protected. But uh, can they represent the community by leading tilot or by saying a bracha Mm -hmm. in a certain way, getting an aliyah, which is not about being Jewish only, it's about... Um, representing the entire congregation and being able to be a role model. I think different communities have different conceptions over what exactly uh, that means. I, I, I use when I when I teach this material. I, I after going through Orach and Dov Hoffman and Ruth Moshe Feinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I then share um, the mission statements of two modern Orthodox synagogues from the East Coast, which at the time when I put together first put together this material, you know about. I don't know, 10 years ago or so, had nearly identical, you know, modern Orthodox, liberal um, religious practices. Mm -hmm. And yet one synagogue's mission statement was, I think, like several pages of like multiple paragraphs like in the course of human events it becomes necessary for uh, you know <laughs> one group to define itself as a shul and you know per- you know, identify its particular values that set it apart from the other shuls in the community mm-hmm. um, it was a modern orthodox shul for modern orthodox Jews with a real clear sense of mission and purpose and identity uh, and the other shul uh, I think its mission statement was like one or two sentences and it says we're an orthodox shul serving the entire Jewish people in which orthodox practice governed how decisions were made at the ritual level Level of the shul, but they saw their constituency as much broader. Uh, and I think if you define yourself as a shul with a broad constituency, then uh, I think that opens you to the, maybe even the responsibility to include more people in not just in, as like participants in tefillah, but even as leaders in tefillah to say you no, know, like the shul's actually here for you uh, and we, we, you know, every, we'd love for you to observe Shabbat more conscientiously, but you we're going to give you offer you the opportunity to say an no, aliyah because you can represent our community because our community is comprised of people who observe in very different ways. And I think that, yeah.
0: Uh, my charusa dina brower says um you know there's two ways to think about observance everyone's on a journey but is that journey a line or a circle so if it's a line then hmm. then then it's right the first step is the second step is this. the third step is the fourth step is this and and you can only and you have to go in order kind of whereas if it's a circle then it's which mitzvot speaks to you the most? And and uh, right is public Kriyat Torah a mitzvah that's really important oh, to you? Then maybe you should do that, and it'll lead you on a path to other to learning about other mitzvot that will then find you important to you. And that path is not really the same as anyone else. You know that that direction around the circle is not the same as anyone else's. That's is.
1: very nice. So someone could be a role model for this particular mitzvah and therefore represent the congregation in that particular mitzvah, even if in other ways they might not yet be a great role model for right. Uh, because uh,
0: also I think I think using Shabbat as your Shmant Shabbat as your barometer, in our DNA it's just complicated right um, there's loads of people who keep Shabbat who don't keep and Meshpat, um and Meshpat and, and you know their their business dealings are unethical or they don't pay their taxes or whatever it is right and um, and, and so to say oh we're going to determine it by Shabbat well
1: it's arbitrary it seems arbitrary, it, seems arbitrary. It, it, it,
0: doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't effectively stand in for observance of all mitzvot right,
1: right? as a synecdoche or whatever I it think is. that's what yeah. it is yeah uh-huh, so, something
0: that represents everything a synecdoche yeah yeah
1: this also, right? This also, the city in near Buffalo, but uh, that's uh <laughs> um, someone said everyone in our walks on Shabbat. Some people walk from their apartments. Some people walk from their cars. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's a different idea. It's a different idea. Uh,
0: yeah. I, I, hey, the question is, <laughs> people who walk from their cars, like they're, they're role models in some other area of Halakha that everyone else could you know aspire to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't want to give up like high expectations and high hopes for people to for grow sure. and I, which is i think a risk of like of going down that path maybe too far and mm-hmm. i and i and i also think it's valuable to just raise the costs and benefits of each of each type of shul i think a shul where everyone is like there's like all in on this like kind of very elite like level of you know form of observance and ideology like there's something very that can be very powerful for people who are, are there already and already have that commitment? They can really reinforce each other and encourage each other in a very powerful way. Um, in a way that could be harder in a more um, open and diverse congregation. I think. The, I think. And it, it's a
0: community that's much harder to join if you're not there already. Exactly. Exactly. There's no like ramp up and exactly.
1: It. Sure, like ours. I, I've seen people uh, really change their lives in really inspiring ways, and people grow and really really inspiring ways, I think precisely because the entry was so easy and there were, nothing was really asked of them at the door. Uh, and then once involved in the community, they were exposed to something really compelling and, and life-enhancing and, and spiritually enriching. And then they, that encouraged them to make the next steps. And we were able to provide them with a framework in which they could learn how to do that. And, and, and they did find encouragement to make those steps. We are honored to have Binyamin Cohen, our Vice President of Education, here with us to be interviewed. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Uh, Can you tell us,
1: please, how did you uh, come to Lakeview? How did you find out about the shul? What brought you here? What do you love about being part of this community?
2: Um, So I... I graduated a few years ago from the Pardes Educators Program, and part of the commitment of that program is to work in North American Jewish Day Schools for th- at least three years, um, which I wanted to anyway, so that was great. But in um, part of my search for the you know the day school I wanted to work at, I landed in one that's in Chicago that I love. And when I told people I was moving to Chicago, they were like, "Oh, you're going to go live in Lakeview, right?" Like several different people told me that <laughs> independently of each other, not having time to with each other or anything like that. So I was like, "I guess I am going to go live in Lakeview." It also helped that two my very good friends lived here and they helped convince me also to live in, you know, want to move in Chicago and live in Lakeview and um, paved the way for me to join this community in this shul and to be involved here and they really they sold it to me I mean it was an easy sell I think they say this is a very welcoming and warm and diverse uh, community and also one that really um, I think is where I am Jewishly in mm-hmm. meaningful ways that made me feel like this is the place that kind of a place I want to be
0: So, Benny, I find myself talking about you a lot because I – I know, right? (laughs) Um, Because I go to all of these meetings with other – community organizations in Chicago that mm-hmm. do work with young professionals. And they're always like, how do we empower them? And I'm always like, what empower if you them? put them on the executive committee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to talk about what it means to be a young professional in our show who is in such a, a position of power within the synagogue.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. It's, well, first of all, it's a little intimidating, uh, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but it's also very, like, I think it really speaks to what this like community is all about, that um, anyone who wants to be involved, if they, like, make some effort to be involved, can do that. And I think for me was finding something that I'm passionate about, which was easy because it's also my job to, you know, be educating (laughs) Jews. And so like to be also like educating Jews on the side is not so hard. Um, (laughs) um, And wanting to be involved in that. And so to be able to, to be able to give something to this community that I care about until I be able to grow it in meaningful ways and be involved in it in a meaningful way um, was an easy choice to like be in the education committee in general. Um, And then I guess I sort of inherited it from my friend who was the previous vice president, um, but I also think that it's it's um, it's definitely something that it's important for it to be. I mean, I don't want to necessarily like toot my own horn here too much, but I think it's it's a role that I think it's important for someone who's a committed and dedicated educator to be in, both in the it, from like in like two directions. The first direction, and sort of like working with the educational staff of the school and the programs, you have to know like you know, from an educator's point of view, what's going to be useful, effective, interesting, and those kind of things, be able to bring that lens to it as an educator and also be able to go like the other direction to like the community and be like, look, you know, talk to my friends and people I'm, mean, you know, talk to a kid. I should be like, what do you interest in educationally? You know, do I as an educator have some perspective on that? Can I, that I can like actually then talk to you about, and then can I then bring that to the committee and then the professional staff of the school to be like, here's what we want to do educationally and. And think here's, like, the things we're thinking about educationally. Here's the things that, you know, the community wants. And here, like, you know, go for taking the other direction, too. Like, going from the professional staff and saying, here are the things that we would like. What, what should we tell the community that we want to try and do? And how can we get them involved in those kind of things as well?
0: So speaking of community involvement, um, do you want to say a word about the education committee and, like, kind of specifics of what you guys do?
2: Um, sure. So I think something I think is unique about the education committee that the – um, professional staff being you folks are <clears throat> much more involved in a lot of the like active doing of and planning of a lot of the things that going some of the other committees. Like you're not going to ever fix the roof, but you are going to teach the class. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you uh, could uh, fix the roof if yeah, you yeah. want to, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> he puts the yeah. on. So <laughs> okay. counts, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I think in that respect, it makes, it's, it's, it allows, I mean, I know in the committee meetings we've had, it allows us for like a freer kind of like discussion that we can be like, we know what our resources are mm-hmm. in a certain respect all the time and we have those to work with and we can be like, okay, what are the what do we like what do we want the the rabbi and the rabbini to do? Like what are the things what are the classes we want them to teach? Mm-hmm. What do we want to get them to like, you know, what what do we want to get them to do? And it get, allows us to um have very sort of like creative and wild ideas sometimes that we can then like rein in into like more sane things. Um but it, it means that the starting point can be more creative and and fun and like out of the box sometimes than otherwise. I think a lot of the things we do practically is sort of like In the past and now are um, like thinking about the scholars and residents who we bring in, um, thinking about topics for the Beit Midrash Wednesday sessions. I think some of the things we want to do in the future are expand sort of like the educational offerings of the shul to more – in more diverse ways, like we've had some ideas of like the I know there's something that happened in the past where people would call in once you know call in every evening for like a five minute you know vort something like that um, have like a little conference call. Uh, we had an idea of having tour on the go. One was like bike the eruv, um, which would be fun. Like you know bike around for 15 minutes, slop at some point. Like here's this part of the eruv, what does it do? I mean I, I don't know what any of these things are. Like how do they all work? And it would be like and and there's all kinds of things we could do like that. We're just like you know looking at like bike to the botanic gardens and see like or not the botanic gardens the uh, the 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 nature museum we like this. This animal is kosher. This animal is not. <laughs> well, like the same <laughs> thing in the, the zoo. zoo. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Those would be fun things is like that.
0: Animal? I guess they have the, giraffes. I don't know. They, they probably
1: have, they have some. get Very suspicious at the zoo when you start wandering around you know, with like, <laughs> a group, talking about shritah.
2: Right. Stand far away from the enclosure while you are doing it. <laughs> it should do like a Noach um, Noah zoo trip. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, and I think that's, that's those are the kinds of things that we can like contemplate doing because we have sort of this like freedom of 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 creativity because we have such amazing resources to work with already at the at the shul in terms of like. The, the like quote-unquote normal educational offerings that we can be like, let's do something silly and crazy and fun and see what people like about it and think about those kind of things. Just
1: two quick responses. One is I think you just guarantee that we will have to air this podcast before Parshat Noah <laughs> <It's too laughs> timely. All right. Which is an easy thing to guarantee, but for sure. And two, I just want to reflect back. I think as an educator here, when there's a strong education committee, I just feel much more mm-hmm. – um, yeah, like energized and and just empowered, and just like it's a real force magnifier for, for the sure. team that we have on professional mm-hmm. staff to like use our. Our training and our love of teaching in the way that's most efficient and most effective and most mm-hmm. appreciated by the community so it's yeah, really there's great. a
0: gemara mm-hmm. that says that people learn what their hearts desire the most and that mm-hmm. what's useful also about in addition to kind of general buy-in it's useful for us to know like what what are people's hearts desire what are people hungry for in our show that we can then feed and nourish because all hunger for torah is a beautiful kind of hunger yeah um, but sometimes it's hard to kind of keep keep your hand on on what exactly mm-hmm. where that where that hunger is I think
2: I think it's also amazing that in this congregation there are phenomenal absolutely phenomenal educators yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. who care very much about education and also like lay people who yes. care very much about education yes. and it's mm-hmm. not just that you know that yeah yeah, and my favorite thing. Yeah. We had
0: a scholar in residence um recently and um the scholar because it's like the summer months, scholar in residence spoke very late at night and someone showed up for the egg who I'd never seen show up to an egg mm-hmm. before and he was like, Yeah, it's amazing, my kids are asleep. So it's yeah. perfect that it started at nine thirty and I was
1: yeah.
0: like, Wow, you know, oh, yeah. like that's really something to think about. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so if somebody uh doesn't know you wants to be where can where can you be found on let's say a Shabbat morning?
2: Um I can frequently found at Ashkama. Um, on a Shabbat morning, and then thereafter in the Beit Midrash, reading something probably, or if I don't go to Shkama in the middle of the like the right before where the shul starts the slant, mm, that's where I like to sit. Slant. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like not not the, the seat on the the row on the slant is the worst because then you're like yeah. you know like you're close to the seat row in front no of you and you're slant. falling no over the, the entire time. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. so like right behind that is my favorite favorite seat And, in and
0: does your name get called almost every time you're? in Yes, cell. very frequently. I think yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Maybe explain. <laughs> Oh, because I cause <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a Cohen and I have to bear the quote unquote bear the burden of being a Cohen and the uh, the glorious burden. That almost, actually, that's uh, one of not.
1: the most interesting Cohen-Levy ratios of any community I've ever been in. We <laughs> I have know. An enormous, like, like it's yeah. really most communities far more Cohen than Leviem. Here mm-hmm. we have like four or five Leviem for every Cohen. It's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's really inexplicable. It very it's clean hand. There's a lot right. of
2: competition for washing the hands on Hagim, <laughs> this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also funny how many more Cohenim show up on Hagim too. It's like I think it's always like the nature of it, but it's just like. You know.
1: yeah. Let me tell you, when they don't show up, we don't yeah, show Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Don't I know it? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yes. All
0: right. Thank you so much for joining us on the Straw Hat.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: We have selected a winner for the trivia question that we asked last week. Here goes.
1: Joseph Goodman here. Anshay Shalom opened up a Melrose presence in 1940, but the current building was not erected until 1959.
0: This episode's Anshay Shalom trivia question is as follows. Send us in a voice note and we will put it into the next episode. Send it to me at rabbaneet at ASBI.org or to Haley Shul at ASBI.org. So here's the question. Name all of the youth groups that happen on Shabbat morning. Pronounce the names correctly and tell me what all the names mean. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. As always, we are deeply grateful to Haley Leventhal for producing this episode. If you have positive feedback, we'd love to take that in person, or you can send us voice notes, or you can send us letters or emails. Negative feedback, you can throw it into the ground and hope that it is swallowed up into the earth the way that Korach was. That's what you should do with negative feedback this week. Thank you so much for listening.